I was praying and thinking through our time of worship, I thought, look, we need to, we need to kind of hold that for a moment. Because what I'm preaching about today um, hasn't got an awful lot of that in it, apart from the fact that this part of the, the, the story of Ruth has Naomi, as we'll see, at a pretty low place. And God's intention all the way through was to lift her head up off of herself onto him. And in worship, that's what he's tried to do. It's not a whip up that he's trying to communicate to us. Well, we must wave our hands and shout and clap and pretend that we're really excited about God. It's more that he's saying, look, I know where some of you are at and I want to lift your heads above where you're at to me this morning. And even as I was thinking that, I felt as though God was saying to us as a community this morning that we're in one of two places today. Either we're a Naomi or we're a Ruth. Either we're a Naomi or we're a Ruth. Uh, and we'll see what that means. But in a nutshell, a Naomi this morning is somebody who is feeling a little bit that way and needs to do that. And a Ruth is someone who comes alongside, not that we'll see that in this part of the story today, but we certainly see it in the rest of the story. A Ruth is someone who comes alongside and helps the person who's d- down there to do that. You're either a Naomi this morning, and some of you in this room will be a Naomi, and that's okay, as you'll also see. And the rest of us are a Ruth. Whether you're a believer in God or not, by the way, as well. Whether you've got faith in God or not, you can be a Ruth or a Naomi. So hold that for a few moments. Hold it all the way through, see what you think, see what God does. We're going to go through the story. I'll give you a recap in a minute, and we'll see what God does. So that's just a little bit of what I felt God was saying through the worship. Just in terms of introduction, it is true to say, isn't it? I mean, the plain fact of the matter is some of us, some of us today, our heads might be a little bit down because sometimes in life things can go a bit wrong. Sometimes life can be, go, be going swimmingly well, life is good, life is joyful, we've got the best exam results in the world, just landed a new job, just got a new toy, a car or you know, something for the garden or something like that, and then something happens out of nowhere that suddenly brings, you, brings your head down. I'll, I'm going to give you a trivial example, and it is trivial, uh, I just want to warn you that it's trivial so that you don't feel too sorry for me through the process. But uh, last Sunday, as I'm sure many of us will know, many of us who were there will know, we had an absolutely fantastic time at Pete and Trina's uh, at the barbecue. Couldn't meet here, so we had a barbecue at their house. What a wonderful afternoon that was. Uh, the food was fantastic. The entertainment was fantastic. Loads of fun and games wasn't going on. The company is one of the best companies that you'll find in the whole of Birmingham ever. Oasis Church gathering, what more could you want for? Uh, I left that, uh, that afternoon, got home about five, something like that, thinking that was a cracking good afternoon. God is good, Oasis is good, Sainsbury's taste the different burgers, boy, they're good. Uh, it's, it's good to be alive. It really is good to be alive. Uh, I sort of settled down into my sofa thinking, oh, joy and peace and love and friendship from God. Uh, and then Sol came home, which in and of itself is not a bad thing. <laughs> He's not here today, and I've asked him if I can share this. Sol came in from a music rehearsal. He's, he was playing at a wedding yesterday with some people from Oasis Church to share with me the news that he'd lost his mobile phone and he thought he'd lost it in Pete and Trina's garden. Now, that in and of itself is not the end of the world. Losing your mobile phone happens all the time, doesn't it? Yes, it does. We all do it. I'm sure you've lost your mobile phone at some point or the other. But the trouble is that losing it in Pete and Trina's garden is a bit of a downer because it's absolutely massive, isn't it? Their garden, for those of us that were there. So it's not as crazy getting in the back garden, having a little snook around, perhaps ringing it and hoping for the best. The phone's probably gone. And we did all of those things. We did go around to Pete and Trina's. We did ring it. We did have a bit of a snoot around. We couldn't find it. It had gone. Now, you may say, Gus, get a life. It's only losing a mobile phone. But in the last week, and this is the absolute truth, as they say when people preaching, I'd also broken my iPhone by dropping it on the canal path. And Isabella had had some orange juice damage done on her phone as well. 
So the Rosier all of a sudden were having mobile phone trauma coming home to roost. Now, I told you it was a, tri a trivial example, uh, but that's an occasion where something like that sometimes can knock you a little bit. And you think, oh, life was good, and all of a sudden, silly or trivial as it might be, it's not good anymore. That's a trivial example. What about one that isn't trivial? And this one hurts. It doesn't hurt us, but we hurt for the people that are involved in it. What about, for example, the Alton Towers accident that happened on the 2nd of June? When we look into that one, when we hear the news on that one, when we think, imagine ourselves, we could have been on that roller coaster when that Smiler accident took place, and then we hear about Leah Washington, a 17-year-old sixth form student from Barnsley, losing most of her leg le leg left leg as a result of that accident, all of a sudden we think, man, that's hard. What a jolt, what a massive jolt for her in her world. Out on a date with her boyfriend, first time out of Barnsley together, all of a sudden, world crashes to the floor. And we feel it, don't we, when that happens? We don't look in and think, oh, glad it wasn't me. We think, man, that could have been me. And man, what, what a life change has come into that family as a result. So life can happen, tragedy can happen, and Ruth has right as, at its heart a tragic beginning. It has tragedy at the core of its story. We've learned this over the last few weeks, but if you remember, Ruth is a story that starts with a family leaving Bethlehem to go to a place called Moab because there was famine in the place of Bethlehem. That's ironic in and of itself because Bethlehem was known as the house of bread and yet there was no food for the people of God in God's land. So this family, Elimelech, Naomi and two boys, Marlon and Kilion, go over to Moab to find food. That in and of itself is all right. It's an exciting new adventure for the family. But what happens as soon as the family get to Moab is that dad dies. Elimelech dies. Elimelech's probably the one who was leading the family on the adventure. He was probably the one saying, come on, let's go, let's do this, we can do this, we can go over to Moab, we can find some food, everything's going to be all right, new life, new hope, new beginning, new excitement, new faith in God, let's go for it, shall we? And he go, they go to Moab and immediately dad dies. Think about that for a minute. Think about that. You've just moved home and your dad dies. Your dad dies. Some of you here may have a dad that's already died. And you know how painful that is. And it wasn't a sudden thing. For some of you, it might have been. For this family, in a new place, in a new environment, suddenly he's gone. Tragedy. So Naomi is left as a widow. And she tries to reform her life. We don't know the detail of it. But what we do know is that after a short while or a long while, her two sons, Marlon and Kilion, marry. Now, I've researched quite hard this week to find out if there are any ancient photographs of these two characters. Uh, and apparently there are. Marlon is a character from Star Trek, and Kilion is short for, is long for Keely, who's a hobbit in the recent series. So that's Marlon, uh, uh, not a bit of a looker, but Keely, as we all know, is a bit of a looker. And I thought a bit of humour in an otherwise humourless preach is not a bad thing. Anyway. These two sons marry two Moab Moabite girls, Ruth and Orpah. Moabite girls, and everything's looking okay, apart from the fact that Marlon and Kilion then die themselves. So now we've got Naomi's husband dead, and we've got her two sons dead as well. And we've got three widows living together in a strange culture, in a male-dominated culture, as it was at the time, whatever we think of that. And that's hard. That's life dealing a hard blow. Things looking good as they embark on a new adventure. Life comes along and deals a hard blow. Again, we don't know how they cope with that. All we do know is that they somehow survived. And then they heard word of God providing food back in Bethlehem for the people of God. So they decided to go back there on the road to Bethlehem. Back to Bethlehem to find familiarity and family. 
And as Adrian described a couple of weeks ago when we were last here, that was a road of disappointment for them. A road of disappointment, why? Because they'd started out full of hope, full of life, full of excitement, full of all that was going to happen for them in the land of Moab, and yet it all went tragically and horribly wrong. Death for Elimelech, death for Marlon, death for Kilion, three widows on the road back. Alone, vulnerable, thinking what's going on. Naomi tried to talk Orpah and Ruth out of coming back, said, don't come with me. This is the wrong move for you guys. You can go back to Moab, probably find yourself a new husband. Life could be better. Orpah said, fine, I'll go. I'm just nutshelling what Adrian said a couple of weeks ago. Ruth, however, clung to Naomi and then said this to her, which is one of the famous bits of the whole book of Ruth, where she said, look, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and... Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. This is Naomi expressing undying, unswerving, unbelievable commitment to Naomi. She didn't care what it was going to look like. She was going to stick with Naomi, cling to Naomi. And it was a wonderful and amazing moment of commitment to her. It's a, if you like, an Old Testament conversion. It was Ruth saying, I'm going to take your faith in your God, Yahweh, Israel's God, and I'm going to go with him, whatever it looks like. I'm going to lay down any religious thinking or believing that I've had from Moab, and I'm going to go the way of your God. And she goes with Naomi. And it's radically new, and it's radically different. And the writer of Ruth gets us to this point for the last three verses of chapter one at that point. Knowing that Ruth is with Naomi, knowing, if you listen to the talk from a couple of weeks ago, that Naomi didn't want Orpah or Ruth to stay with her, and yet they're both going on the road to Bethlehem. So we're going to read the next three verses, and it's only three verses, and as we read them, I'm going to stop at each little bit to explain a little bit about what's going on so that we can understand the context of the passage, and then we're just going to land on a really pretty straightforward, simple point this morning around whether we're a Ruth or whether we're a Naomi. So let's read the scriptures. Ruth chapter 1, verse 19 to 22. If you've got it, it's on the screen. It'll come up in sections behind me as we go. Verse 19 to start briefly. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. The two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. Simple words, but actually the writer is using really formal speech at this point. He's referring to Naomi and Ruth as two women, not as... Uh, not with any kind of relationship or connection, which he's done previously in that chapter. He's doing that to impart something that there is now distance between the two women. They've had a bit of a concourse. They've had a bit of a conversation about whether Ruth wants to be with Naomi, and she does, and whether Naomi wants Ruth to come with her, and she doesn't. And now it's just two women walking along the road to Bethlehem. The writer's trying to communicate something of there being a bit of distance, a bit of silence, a bit of awkwardness. Ruth wants to be with Naomi, but Naomi, because she's so bitter about everything that's happened to her, doesn't really want Ruth there at all. Because, remember, Naomi wants to suffer alone. She wants to be on her own. She doesn't really want Ruth there, and she's only let her come because Ruth's given her a hard time. Two women walking along the road until they came to Bethlehem. Next bit. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. Or, in a different translation of that, for, that phrase, the whole city echoed with excitement over them. 
the whole city echoed with excitement over them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Can this be Naomi? And there are three things here. The first is that the idea of the, the, the city of Bethlehem, the town of Bethlehem, echoing with excitement has everybody scurrying around because potentially this is Naomi back. Naomi back after a number of years of being away. And that's exciting. When a friend returns from wherever, there's a bit of a stir. It also suggests that Naomi was known and she was still in connection with people in Bethlehem. So that's the first thing, a returning friend. Second, commentators will tell you what the verse actually says, which is the women that's exclaiming this. And it's only the women because we find out in a couple of verses later that the men are out of harvest. So it's just, again, what I like in Scripture, and I've said this before, Scripture backing itself up. It says that the women are saying it, and we know it's the women because the men are out on harvest. So that makes sense. You can just have that one for nothing, as I often say. And the final thing, which is the, the important one, is this. Intentional emphasis by the writer on that name, Naomi. It's how I read it. Can this be Naomi? The writer wants us to dwell on that word, to dwell on that name. Why does he want us to dwell on that word or dwell on that name? Because of the meaning of the name. And again, we've covered this over the last couple of weeks, but the meaning of the name Naomi is lovely or pleasant or nice or wonderful or good. Those are all the meanings of the name. And so they're saying, can this be Naomi? This is good. This is pleasant. This is wonderful. She's back. Good news. This is who she is. This is who we remember her to be. Naomi, good and pleasant and lovely. It's Naomi. Can this be Naomi? Wow. Excitement. So that's what this writer is trying to impart. Next verse, verse 20, says this. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Intentionally written in the original Hebrew to be slow-paced so that we get it. We get how Naomi is saying what she's saying. Intentionally written so that, again, the word Naomi is emphasised, but in a different way this time, not as lovely or wonderful or joyful or good, but as a word that Naomi wants to spit out of her mouth. She doesn't want to be called Naomi anymore. She doesn't want to be known as good or lovely or wonderful or nice. She wants to spit that identification out of her mouth. She doesn't want anybody to remember her how she used to be. She wants to be known as she now is. Don't call me Naomi. It's something she wants to spit out of her mouth. What does she say next? This. Call me Mara because... The Almighty has marred my life, has made my life very bitter. Call me Mara because the Lord Almighty has made my life very bitter. If you want to call me something, don't call me something that you knew me to be a number of years ago that was lovely, that was nice, that was good, that filled you with joy. Call me something that I am now which is very, very, very bitter. I am very bitter. God has scarred me. God has marred me. God has called me pain, and I am not in a good place. 
It's God's fault. God has done it. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Original Hebrew, I full went. The emphasis is on the word full. I full went to Moab. Not full of food, of course, because there wasn't any, but full of life, full of faith, full of hope, full of intention about the journey that lay ahead, full of enjoyment of a relationship with a husband, full of excitement about the future that two sons were going to have in a new land. I full went, but again, original Hebrew, empty, brought me back Yahweh. Empty. No life, no family, no faith, no hope. I am completely done in. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. It's all his work. It's all his plan. It's all his intention. It's all his fault. It's God that has done this to me. Now, when we read that and we understand how to read it, which hopefully I've helped you to do, it sounds pretty raw to me. It sounds pretty hard. It sounds as though Naomi is completely broken as a result of the circumstances that have happened to her in her life. She is done in. She has had it with God. She's lost her husband. She's lost her two sons. Everything's gone completely wrong. She's got Ruth with her and she doesn't want her around. She's done in. She wants to be called bitter. She wants to be called marred. She wants to be called angry and horrible. She doesn't want to be called nice and lovely. She is done in. That is Naomi as she walks back into Bethlehem. And to be honest, there is one thing we can do at this point, and that is commend her, I think, for her honesty. Commend her for her honesty. We can commend the writer of Ruth for portraying that honesty as well. Again, something that the Bible is very good at doing. It tells you the story as it is. It doesn't try to pretend to be something else. It's not necessarily writing with any kind of agenda. It's just saying, well, this is what happened, and then we can make of it what we will. There's no pretend faith going on here. I love the fact, actually, that Naomi comes in being brutally honest about where she's at. There's no pretend faith. There's no, if you like, classic current Christian speak that goes on when she arrives back into Bethlehem. What do I mean? Well, I don't know about you. I do this. I don't know if you do it. It could have done something like this. Naomi comes back into Bethlehem. Can this be Naomi? Can this be Naomi? Yeah, it's me. Yes, it's me. I'm back. Naomi, it's so good to see you. Well, it's good to be back. Well, what's been happening? Well, it's been, it's been all right. It started off well. You know, me and the boys, we went over to, to Moab. We were looking for some food. We found some great restaurants. Had some good food. But then, you know, these things happen in life. Then my husband died. It was a little bit, it was hard. It was a bit of a shock. But death happens, doesn't it? God is good. God is good. God is faithful. God is kind. God is merciful. God is with me every step of the way. There was a death in the family. It was a bit of a surprise. Everything suddenly fell on me. But hey, everything's all right. God is good. Wow, that must have been a bit of a hard job for you to take. No, no, no. No, no, no. God, hallelujah. All things work for the good. Hallelujah. Well, anything else happened? Well, yeah, my boys died actually as well. What? Yeah, yeah, my, my two sons, they died about 10 years later. Your two sons died? Well, death happens, doesn't it? Death happens. Yeah, God took my husband. That was hard. And when he took my boys, I was a little bit surprised. But he took them as well. But hallelujah. God is good. God is kind. God is loving. 
Come on, let's just go for a coffee. I'm okay. Pretend Christianity. I mean, don't get me wrong. God is good. God is kind. God is loving. God is faithful. God is merciful. And God will journey with us every step of the way. And we've seen that in a number of people's lives here in Oasis. Yes, 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 and yes to all of that. But actually, God wants honesty and openness. And when things go hard for us, let's be honest about it and say, man, it's hard. And I'm struggling. And I'm down and I'm low and my head's to the floor. And actually, I've got some questions about where God is in in all of this. Let's do that. That's the point of this part of the scripture. I think it's the point of why God reiterated to us during worship, there are some of us here today who are looking down. And he's saying to you, that's all right. It's all right. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to condemn you. I want you to lift your head up. Yes, I do, and we'll get to that in a minute. But it's okay to look down. It's okay to be honest before God. If you are feeling as though your head is down and you're angry or you're bitter or you're out of connection with God or you think something's happened to you in your life that is God's fault, which is what Naomi thought, that is all right. That is what this part of the scripture is saying. And we may have some questions about how Naomi communicated her anger, her bitterness towards God. Because she was absolutely 100% blaming him for everything that had gone wrong. God's fault. God did it. It wasn't just life that happened. It wasn't, if you like, souls lost his mobile, kind of just happens. It wasn't, forgive me for the triviality of it, or oh, an accident of Alton Towers just happens and somebody's lost their leg. She was saying, God did this. God is at fault. And I'm very bitter towards him. And at this point, we could get into a theological argument about what we think about that. And normally when I look at scripture, I like to do that because I kind of think you probably want to know some more about that and therefore let's not fudge it. I'm going to fudge it today. I'm going to move on from that because that's not the main point of what I want to say at this point. If you do want to have a conversation about that, more than happy to chat afterwards. I've done loads of reading. We can have a huge debate. It can go on for a long time. What we've got is someone who is bitter, who is hurting, who is struggling in life. And that happens to all of us at some point at some point at some time in our lives, doesn't it? I've got a friend, some friends 15 years ago, a uh, one-year-old daughter, Charlotte. My friends were called Rich and Ruth. Uh, Charlotte was diagnosed with a brain tumour, the third of the size of her brain cavity. Went into Great Ormond Street Hospital. All the experts trying to work out what they were going to do. They sent Charlotte home to die because nobody had an idea what to do about it. Loads of people were praying. It was a hard time. It was hard not to be bitter towards God. It was hard not to be angry towards God. Rich and Ruth loved God. And they were struggling with it. Now this story has a happy ending because miraculously God healed her. The, the tumour shrunk. It kind of shrunk, not, not in sort of seconds, but it shrunk over a number of weeks and months to nothing and nobody knew why. Now you may ask, well, what happened in the first place? Discuss. But what an amazing story. We were bitter towards God. I was angry. I think, God, you're going to take this child, aren't you? And I don't know why you're going to do it. But thankfully, he stepped in and saved the day. Got some other friends. A couple that discipled me when I was at Polytechnic, because it was in my, my day, not university. Uh, a couple called Brian and Kath. A granddaughter last year, brain tumour. Four years old. Do I just think, oh, joy, happy, good is good, love, friendship, joy. No, I get cross about those kind of things. God, what's going on there? And so loads of people prayed, and she was in the care of some experts in Bristol uh, Hospital, and they had loads of people, again, well worn, trying to work out how they could get rid of this thing. She had a number of operations. She had some horrendous treatment 
She wrote all the treatments, she wrote all the operations, everything that they did medically they wanted to do was successful, and Zoe died. That's hard, isn't it? It'd be hard not to be angry. And lots of people in life have things that happen in life, and they target their anger towards God. You might target your anger towards God this morning. That's what Naomi is doing in our story. She is saying, God has done this to me. And we may say, look, you can't do that because God is good. You shouldn't be doing that. If you had a real understanding of God, you'd give him a little bit more space and grace, wouldn't you? You need to be a little bit more humble. This is almighty God that we're talking about here. But Naomi had it in for God at that point, in our story. She wanted to be called Mara, bitter, because that is what God had done to her, made her bitter. And I make the point again, is that you today? Is that you today? Are you a Naomi today? I don't want to put it on you. I'm not doing that. But I'm saying, look, you could be here today with that pretense almost that everything's fine, that everything's good, that every, everybody around Oasis wants you just to say that you're fine and God is lovely and you've got a great relationship with him. But underneath, you know, you know you've got some big questions and you're really hurting you're really hurting. And actually, you're longing to be honest, but you actually don't feel permission to be honest. And I'm saying this morning, as a result of this passage, as a result of what God has said to us in worship, you have permission. You have permission just to let it all go. To be angry, to be bitter, to have a go at God, to share it with someone, and that's all right. Because raw honesty in the presence of God is something that God can totally take. So that scene is set, and then comes the last verse of this passage. And this last verse looks like it says nothing. It looks like it says nothing, but actually it says everything, which is why it's such an amazingly beautiful verse. It summarizes the whole of the chapter in one line. And it says this, and on first read you think, big deal. But you read it and you think, okay, I get this. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. What's the big headline here? There are three. First, Naomi is back from Moabite land. Naomi. Note, not Mara. Not Mara. Naomi's back. The writer is saying, look, Naomi might want to be called Mara. She might want to be called bitter. She might be full of anger and resentment towards God. But we're not having that. We are still calling her beautiful, wonderful, lovely, pleasant. Because that's what she is. That's what we are in the eyes of God. Even if we're feeling angry and bitter towards him, God says, you're still my child. You're still my adopted one. You're still in my family. I'm still for you and not against you. You can give me all you want, but you are still Naomi to me. That's the first thing to say, which is why you have permission to be angry before God if you want to this morning, because in him there's no condemnation. Totally fine. Let's do it. He sees you as Naomi. I'm happy as a bloke to be known as a Naomi this morning. I don't mind that it's a woman's name. Do you get it? That's the first headline. I think that's wonderful. Second, who's with her? Ruth. Ruth is with her. Ruth, who hasn't actually been in this section of Scripture, these three verses, 
silent. We don't know what's happened. We know that she's there. She's there, a Moabite, with her new faith in the God of Israel, prepared to face whatever lies ahead of her. And we might feel alone in our bitterness, unable to deal with it, but God is always alongside us, even if we think he's being silent. That's why for us here today, many of us can be a Ruth to whoever is the Naomi. A support, an encouragement, someone that can put an arm around the shoulder and say, look, let's work this through together. You're not alone. Oasis family means you're not alone. We have genuine friendship. People are standing with Vince and Debbie all through their journey. We love doing it. We want to see them healed. Of course we do. But we keep journeying with them. He's a great rock of faith already. We know that. But we want to be a rock of faith for them as well. It's the same for others who've got sickness. Andy Miranda, stand firm in the goodness of God. The Smiths, when um, Megan, yeah, Megan was going through all that brain trauma, we stood by them, didn't we? Naomi's and Ruth's going through a difficult time together. So that's it. Ruth, Ruth is there. God is with us. And then finally, there's news of the harvest. There's news of the harvest. What does that mean? A, in simplistic terms, in terms of the story, it means that there is food now for Ruth and Naomi. There is food. They are now about to be filled up with food, which they may not have had before. But more than that, the harvest signifies that something good and better is still yet to come. And this is how the writer finishes the chapter. He said, look, there's a lot of hard stuff going on here. There's a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of death. There's a lot of tragedy. It all looks horrendous, and it looks like God is behind it all. But actually, what God is behind is pulling everything completely and utterly back round to full redemption and, and full restoration. The harvest is coming. The harvest is coming. And that's good news. So we're not left with, a, oh my word, God is rubbish. God is, he's a, he hates us, he's against us, he's caused death and suffering and illness and pain and we hate him. We're left with, ah oh, yes, but the harvest is coming and what's going to happen next? And for us in this room today, if you are a Naomi, that's the question that I want to leave you with, an encouragement. What's going to happen next? God hasn't finished with you yet. God hasn't finished with you yet. Your journey is only part through. God is going to deliver for you whatever you need that's the best for you because that's what God does. He works for good in everything. Good, bad, ugly, or indifferent. He's with you on the journey. Don't be downcast. Get your head up to look to him. Get some Ruths alongside to help you, and you will find that God will do an amazing thing in you that can change your whole view on how good he is. That is the point of this part of the scripture. And that's why I wanted to share it this morning, to say, look, what are you? Are you a Naomi or are you a Ruth? Should we stand? So just, just take a moment after all that. Just take a breath. It's a real story of something that really happened to someone that was really hurting. You've heard a couple of stories about real people in life that have had difficult things happen to them. And that might be you this morning. I just want to ask for a response. And we'd love to pray for you this morning, Particularly, obviously, for those of you who might put yourself with the label as a Naomi. If you're a Naomi this morning, I'm going to give you a chance to raise your hand in a minute, and we're just going to stand with you and pray for you. 
going to pray from you from the front. Then I'd love you, if you're brave enough, perhaps with a friend or two, to come forward and we'll pray from you from the front, here, at the front. So if you're a Naomi and you think, that is me, that is me, it's time to come clean, I'm going to be brutally honest before God, I just want to lay it all bare, get some support, get some encouragement, just like to ask you to raise your hand. Stick your hand up right now. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else want to stick their hand up? <laughs> Great. So just keep your hand up. Nobody's looking. Eyes shut, everybody. Father, for the hands that have gone up, I know that you want to rush to meet them, just like we heard a couple of weeks ago when the prodigal comes home and you're lifting your skirt and you're running towards them with a huge embrace ready to fling around them. And that's your heart always, to embrace us with your love. We heard it through worship that you want to embrace us with your love this morning. And Lord, for the hands that are up, the people's lives that are behind those hands, Lord, come and meet them this morning. Come and put new hope, new faith. Uh, a new sense of expectation about you're going to bless them and encourage them and lift them up. Come and do that this morning, I pray, for your glory in Jesus' name. For the rest of us, Lord, who might be seen to be Ruth's encouragers of these people, help us to be really wise, sensitive, gentle, understanding of where people are at, Lord God, so that we don't condemn them, but we draw them, Lord, draw them to you and your goodness. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.